beloved in the Lord. History after the fall is a tale of two cities. We see that in Isaiah 26. There's the strong city of God, complete with the impenetrable defenses of salvation. On the other hand, we have the lofty city that God humbles in verse 5 of our text. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it in the dust. The lofty city is based on human pride. Augustine wrote the famous book, City of God, in the fourth century. Here he talked about the city of man and the city of God. And in Augustine's day, the most obvious manifestation of the city of man was Rome. Rome was built on pride, a pride that was both her strength and her undoing. On the other hand, the city of God was built by God and was filled with those who humbled themselves before God. I bring you the word of the Lord under the theme, come to the city that the Lord has built. First, we'll see the strong city, and second, we'll see the level way. The strong city. In the Bible, the city is a place of strength. In times of war, the people would flee to the city or town for protection. Now, because we wage war differently today, we don't think of cities in quite the same way. Yet, we still think of cities as places of economic and cultural strength, and that's just as true. In the Bible, a city also provided human resources that were not to be found in the country, and so they produced a culture and a wealth that could not be found in the country. And we can see the second we can see that second aspect more clearly than the first today. Cities are still places where you find the greatest wealth and culture. Cain builds the first city in the Bible. We see that in Genesis 4. This city is characterized by the pride of Lamech. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. It's a city built on pride and violence. This initiates a pattern in the Scripture. The first city is the city of man. The city of man is, is a twisting of God's intention for the world. God intends to create a city, but he will do so in his own time and for the sake of his glory. Man builds a city in order to demonstrate his own glory. The city of Babel in Genesis 11 fits the same pattern. This is a city that is built for the sake of the honor and glory of man. They will find a way to God rather than receiving the city that God is preparing. But God has his own plans, and those will be accomplished. We see that in our text in Isaiah 26, this promise of a city built by God. The song of, of the city follows in Isaiah 25, where we have God's promise, or 
rather Isaiah 24, God's promise to judge the world, and in Isaiah 25, to make Jerusalem a place where the nations are free to come in and feast before God. Before Christ, we see the promises and shadows of this city. We see heavenly images of this city in passages like Isaiah 26 and the end of Ezekiel. In Jesus Christ, we see the reality of this city come to earth because this city's foundations are the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the proclamation of that sacrifice by the apostles. Isaiah 26 is the song that the people of God sing upon seeing the work of God. It's a confession of what the Lord has done. We sang two songs like this in the service today. One, Psalm 48, where we sing of the beauty of Jerusalem. Another, Psalm 126, where Israel is restored as the city of God. Isaiah 26. In that day, says Isaiah, that is, in the day that God restores Israel, once she has gone through the judgment, she will be taken captive and brought into exile. We know from Jeremiah for 70 years. In that day when she returns, she will sing, we have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. We can see right away that Isaiah is not merely telling us about the earthly city of Jerusalem. In some sense, it is about the Jerusalem that will be restored in in, in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. But at the same time, it's something more. This is a city that's not built by human hands. God has set up salvation. God has set up salvation as the bulwarks of this city. These words suggest that the actual city of Jerusalem is a pale imitation of the heavenly city. And Paul picks up on this in Galatians 4, along with other imagery about the coming work of God in Galatians 4. The Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. The Jerusalem of Ezra and Nehemiah is ultimately fulfilled in Christ and his church. Christ is the cornerstone of the Jerusalem above. The church is the city of God. We can see the church here on earth, but behind the visible church is the spiritual reality of the Jerusalem above. The Jerusalem above is strong. Why? Because God is the bulwark of her salvation. We can think of Zechariah's words in the book of Zechariah, where he tells the Jews that are spread out through the Middle East that they will be protected from their enemies by a spiritual wall of fire. We see God's protection of his church. We pray, keep us from evil, and God does so. That doesn't mean we don't go through pain as the church of God. What it means is that our future salvation is a firm and certain thing. God is our refuge and strength. He protects us and keeps us. That's what it means when we say the just will live by faith. That's his firm promise.
Open the gates, sing the people of Judah. Again, we've just been told in chapter 25, on this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-aged. God invites the world to this feast on one condition, faith. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. God demonstrates his plan to bless the nations. These are nations that keep the faith. And here the focus is not just simply faith, but faithfulness. That's what the book of James calls living faith. Living faith hears the word of God and not only believes that the word of God is true, but the word of God is to be obeyed. That's a faith that continues in Christ and a faith that works itself out in good works. And it doesn't come from you. It's God's work in you. Judah continues to sing, you, God, God, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. God calls us to keep faith with him. It takes hard work. It takes fear and trembling because our hearts stray from God so easily. But then when we come to the end, we see the truth. It was God working in us all along. God is keeping us in peace. When we profess our faith, it isn't about our own strength. It isn't about who we are. It's about who God is. God is working in us. Now, you could view it as an excuse to be spiritually lazy, But if you examine that idea for a couple of minutes, you quickly see the foolishness of it. The fact that God is working in us should give us confidence that we are able to keep faith in God. God gives us the peace, the joy, and the life that we need to keep that faith. If we are anxious about our salvation, that gives us no firmness in working out that salvation. We're not even sure if we're saved in the first place. But if we're confident in our salvation, we have a place to stand in which we may work out that salvation with fear and trembling. We have Christ, and that is everything. God keeps us in his peace. The tool for that work of God is faith. The just will be saved by faith. God keeps me because I trust in Him. You don't earn the city of God. We don't build it ourselves. God comes and offers it on the basis of His work. He calls us to believe. In contrast, the city of man is built on pride. And pride produces murder. Lamech, son of Cain, killed a man for insulting him. Romulus killed Remus while he built the walls of the city of Rome. The Bible describes other cities such as Nineveh and Babylon, which are based on pride, a pride that produces violence and injustice. 
God's city is based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God's city is built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died so that through faith, God keeps you, just as He, the faithful one, was kept and preserved by God. Then we have the call to believe in this song of Judah. As you watch the righteous enter the city of God, as you see how God keeps his children, as you hear this song, also hear the call of God. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord is an everlasting rock. God is good. He's provided a way of righteousness, and he will keep his promises to you. If you receive the holy word he has given you in truth. Come to the city of God. Here you will find rest and rescue from the violence and the injustice of this world. The song continues. Now God demonstrates the truth of his word. Those who have mocked the righteous, those who have participated in building the prideful and violent city of man, those who have rejected the offer of the gospel will receive their reward. God will keep his promises. For he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. God comes in judgment on the world throughout history. He has humbled the prideful lofty cities. We read about the pride of, of Babel and, and Cain city which perished in the flood. God will bring down Babylon, Nineveh, and Rome. It's likely that the specific city that Isaiah is thinking about here is Jerusalem. The earthly Jerusalem, full of pride against the Lord of hosts. David originally built up Jerusalem with God's favor. In Isaiah's time, Jerusalem had become as pride-filled and violent as other cities, the prideful, fleshly Jerusalem will be destroyed. King Nebuchadnezzar will be God's instrument to do that. And the new Jerusalem will take her place. Just so God will bring down the pride and violence in our own lands, the pride of the West. And perhaps we've even seen something of that over this last year. He lays it low lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust, the foot tramples it. Which feet? The feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. God places a choice before us. The city of God, which is a place of peace and freedom, the city of man, which is a place of violence and slavery. How do we know that the lofty city in our text is full of violence and slavery? Because this lofty city is, is full of the poor and the needy. Violence and injustice lead to slavery. Sin leads to slavery, ultimately spiritual slavery. God will judge the city of man so that the poor and the needy will trample their violent oppressors in the dust. He turns the city of man upside down 
So come to the city of God. He calls every one of you to that city today. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter. Now is the day of salvation. Come to the city of God. He calls every one of you to that city today. The walls and the bulwarks of our city are not fleshly ones, but they are filled with the fiery power of the Spirit. God promises to keep you, to preserve you in the salvation that He is working out. The world can hurt you in fleshly ways, but they cannot take away the salvation that God promises in Jesus Christ. God promises that His city contains true peace and justice. The empires and the nations of this world fade away, and many are part of the dust of history. Yet God's people continue to grow. God's city will triumph. Come to that city where you may enjoy the peace and the fellowship of God. God also promises here that He will protect you as you come to this city. And that brings us to our second point a level way. Our text says, the path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous. You can look at the Christian life as a continual drawing near to God. Think of the book of James, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And God is with the righteous as they draw near. He is making the way upon which they walk a level way. We don't need to worry about finding a way to God because God has given us the only way to himself through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way to the Father. You can't earn your way. The way is found in Jesus Christ himself. It's not through imitating Christ, but through union with Christ. The power of God to transform you so that you imitate Christ, so that the blood of Jesus Christ covers you. And that's why we can say the way of the righteous is level. Believe and it will be accounted to you as righteousness. Any punishment that you deserve is taken away from you so that you may be free from guilt and may boldly approach the throne of grace. God promises in his word that if you seek for this way, you will find it. You will find the way to the city of God where you may be surrounded by his perfect peace. And in the path, in that way, the people of God wait upon him. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. This verse demonstrates that Isaiah is not speaking of the final judgment of God at this moment because even now the righteous are called to wait upon God. God will give the earth a reset through his judgment on the nations in the 6th century BC. And yet there will still be injustice. There will still be a desire for fuller rightness. We see the same today. We have seen the judgments of God on the cross of Christ And yet we still desire something more, something fuller. We still have these bodies of death. We know that greater peace awaits us. We want God's righteousness 
to fill the earth. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. But when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. The people who sing this song are looking for the fullness of the kingdom of God. When we sing with them, we recognize that the evil that's in our governments, the evil that's in our elites, and we long for a greater manifestation of the righteousness of God in our land. We desire a justice system that truly reflects God's desire for this world. We desire a wealthy class that truly cares for the poor and needy and a ruling class that truly desires to give justice to all types of men. God is working those desires in us. That's how he makes our paths straight. One of the promises that we make in our profession of faith is that we will hate sin and we will love righteousness. Isaiah demonstrates that pattern in the heart of the righteous. If you love God, this hunger and thirst for righteousness will form in your heart as well. The only answer to that desire is God, God's justice. If we depend on our own justice, if we go on without God, we will become the lofty city of verse 5. We will be filled with pride and violence. So let's humble ourselves before the Lord. Recognize that truly good judgments come from His hand. He's a good and righteous God. Wait on Him. We don't have an answer to every injustice we see in the land today. From the injustice we see at a national or provincial level to the injustice we see on the part of a father and a mother. We wait on the Lord who proclaims, vengeance is mine. While the righteous depend on God, the wicked stubbornly stick to their way. If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. God is patient with the wicked, but God's patience becomes a greater damnation to the wicked. The wicked man here stubbornly sticks to the path of wickedness, and despite living in a land of justice and freedom, deals corruptly with those around him. In this peaceful picture that is promised in Isaiah, there will still be wicked men, even as there are wicked men who are part of the church today. The favor they receive through participating in a just society will serve to cement them in their wickedness. They will hear the call to trust in the Lord forever, but they will deal corruptly with the righteous. Here's the hypocrite that Lord's Day 31 talks about. They come into the church, but they do not have ears to hear the call of God or eyes to see the majesty of the Lord. This is, of course, why the righteous still wait upon the judgments of God. The righteous, those who have faith, will find a level way to salvation. The wicked who reject God will not find that way, even as they participate in many of the benefits of the city of God. Who are you? Are you the wicked man or woman who has closed your eyes to the glory of God? 
Do you deal corruptly with your friends and neighbors in the church of God? Do you come to church as if you're a member of the city of God, while in your heart you identify with the city of man? Is your life a lie? There are members of the city of man who will turn and come to the city of God. There are members of the city of God who actually belong to the city of man. Do you belong to the city of God or the city of man? If you recognize that wicked man in yourself, God calls you to turn to him. God has shown you his favor by bringing you here today. Also by allowing you to enjoy peace in a country that still experiences many of the benefits of a Christian past. God offers you the free gift of Jesus Christ if you will leave your hypocrisy behind you. If you see the work of God in yourself, if you know you are righteous in Him, rejoice. Praise God. You are part of a good and perfect kingdom that cannot be shaken. Come to the city of God. Trust in the Lord forever. He will make your paths straight and He will keep you in perfect peace. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.